are listening to Understanding Christianity. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Cole. I'm the lead pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. I also serve as an adjunct instructor of Old and New Testament at Colorado Christian University. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. You know, I've been a Calvinist for almost 20 years now, and I've read so many books on Reformed theology and listened to so many different sermons over the years, but there's one particular theologian that I never really read or knew much about until recently. And so I want to introduce you to Jerome Zankius. Uh, Jerome Zankius, you may not have known who he is. Uh, he was one of the great Italian Protestant reformers. Uh, he was born in 1516 and died in 1590. And so he was heavily influenced by Luther, by Augustine, by Melanchthon. Uh, he was a great Italian Protestant reformer. And one of his great books is a book called The Doctrine of Absolute Predestination. The Doctrine of Absolute Predestination. Now, it's a little bit hard to find this book. Uh, it's still in print. I was able to get one, and I, and I recently um, read it and was very blessed by it. Uh, it's a great, wonderful book on the doctrine of unconditional election. And so what I want to do in this podcast is just introduce you to Zankius, but I want to really focus on something that he, he teaches in his last chapter. Basically, the book starts with the attributes of God. God's sovereignty, God's exhaustive foreknowledge of all things, uh, God's decree that all things come to pass by God's sovereign counsel of his will. And then the second chapter, he deals with the doctrine of absolute, what he calls absolute predestination, or what we would call unconditional election, that God chose a fixed number of individuals before the foundation of the world to be saved, there was nothing in us that moved God to do that. It was out of his sheer will and pleasure to do so. He didn't foresee faith in us. It wasn't because we used our libertarian free will and God saw that and then he chose to ratify our decision. No, it was absolute predestination. And then he has a great chapter on reprobation, uh, the opposite of um, election, that there are those whom God passed over and chose not to save and left them in their state of sin, and they're justly condemned because of their sin. And so it's a wonderful treatment on the doctrine of predestination. But what I found interesting is his last chapter is basically why the doctrine of unconditional election of absolute predestination needs to be openly preached, openly taught, not hidden. Uh, a few years ago in our church, we had a family that decided to leave over the doctrines of grace, over Reformed theology. And this particular individual was more Arminian in their leaning and didn't quite like the fact that our church was teaching unconditional election and the doctrines of grace. And so we as elders met with this family and Basically, their words to us were, you know, that may be Pastor Sean's personal interpretation, and that may be what you as the elders believe, but it shouldn't be preached from the pulpit. It shouldn't be preached. And we went on to tell this person that previous pastors before myself were also Calvinists, and they held to this theology. And she said, well, they never preached it. They kept it to themselves. And so you need to keep this to yourself, and it doesn't need to be preached. And so 
there's this attitude out there that you should never touch the doctrine of predestination with a 10-foot pole. It's controversial. It's confusing. You don't want to cause crisis in the church. So it's just better to not deal with the doctrine of predestination. Just don't preach it. Well, here's the problem. The problem is, is that it is a biblical doctrine. It's a doctrine that needs to be preached. Now, we don't want to camp out on it and say this is the only thing we ever talk about. All Pastor Sean talks about is the doctrine of election. That's every sermon. No, we preach the whole counsel of God's word. And so one of the things that I want to teach you in this podcast or, or just expose you to is some of the insights from Jerome Zankius on why we need to preach the doctrine of predestination openly. And basically he just says that the gospel is to be preached and that not partially and by piecemeal, but the whole of it. So his first point is really we should preach the whole counsel of God's word. The reason that we preach the doctrine of predestination is because it's in the Bible. It's there in the sacred text. And so if we're going to preach the whole counsel of God's word, we must preach it to be faithful stewards of that. Now, one of the things he talks about is an ambassador or a herald. Uh, the Greek word in the New Testament is called a kerux, keruso. It's to herald, to proclaim. Um, in that ancient culture, you had heralds. Um, they were charged like ambassadors of a, of a king. And they were required to go give messages to another king or to another nation. And obviously, this is in the ancient world before there's email or telephone and all the modern conventions we have today. And so the ambassador had to give the exact words of the king and deliver those. He couldn't omit them. He couldn't change them. He couldn't soften them. He, it was almost like word for word, he had to deliver the message. And so that's what the word kerux or caruso means in the scriptures, a proclaimer, a preacher. And so as pastors, our job is to preach the unadulterated truth of God's word. We can't give it piecemeal. We can't pick and choose which parts we want to uh, preach. We've got to preach all of it. And so what Zankius says here, he says, an ambassador is to deliver the whole message with which he's charged. He's to admit no part of it, but must declare the mind of the sovereign he represents fully and without reserve. He's to say neither more nor less than the instructions that his court requires. Otherwise, he comes under the displeasure, perhaps even loses his head. Let the ministers of Christ weigh this well. Let the ministers of Christ weigh this well. As ministers of Christ, our goal is to deliver the full counsel of God's word, unadulterated. And part of the full counsel of God's word is the doctrine of unconditional election and reprobation. And so if we're going to be faithful heralds, ambassadors of our sovereign king, then we must preach the text without reservation, without change, without compromise. We shouldn't shy away from preaching these doctrines. And so one of the ways that we do this is that we're faithful to the sacred text. Now, he goes on and says, if you doubt that predestination is in the Bible, then just read from the Gospels and read from the Epistles and read from Revelation. He goes on to just give a litany of verses that teach the doctrine 
of predestination in case there's a reservation in the mind of uh, the pastor. And so he obviously spends a lot of time in the Gospels. He spends time in John 6 and John 10. But one of the things that I found interesting was that he, he goes to the book of Acts. And he talks about Judas. And in, 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 in Acts 1.16, uh, Peter stands up and he says to the group, uh, men and brothers, the scripture, and this is the way he translates it, the scripture must needs have been fulfilled with which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spoke before concerning Judas. I think modern translations say the scripture had to be fulfilled. It must needs be fulfilled. They're finding a replacement for Judas. And so you think about the concept of Judas. I've heard traditional Southern Baptists and others say that Judas had a choice whether he was going to betray Jesus or not. He had contracausal libertarian free will, and at any point in time, he could have chosen to follow Jesus and not betray Jesus and not give in to Satan. He had the ability to do otherwise. Now, obviously, we don't have time to go into this, but the scripture is very clear that Judas was the son of perdition. It was God's sovereign decree for him to do what he did. And so everything that Judas did was part of God's sovereign plan, and he could not do otherwise. And then in Acts 1.25, that he might go to the place prepared for him, or his own place. And basically what Zanchius says is that's the place of punishment appointed for him, because that was God's sovereign decree. Also, we know that scriptures like in Acts 2.23, where Jesus was delivered by the predetermined counsel and foreknowledge of God. We also know from Acts 4, 27 and 28, when the early church was praying, they said, in this city were gathered Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel will gather together to do whatever your hand and your counsel predestined to take place. And so there are Basically, a lot of scriptures in the, the Bible that teach, especially in the book of Acts, the absolute predestination of God. Of course, Acts 13, 48, as many who were ordained to eternal life believed. Second Thessalonians 2, 13, we thank you, or we thank our God always for you, brothers, beloved of the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief in truth. God chose you from the beginning, from before the foundations of the world. You've got 2 Timothy 1.9, God saved us and called us with the holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which, which He's given us in Christ before the world began. And so, basically, He goes on and says there's tons of passages of Scripture that teach the doctrine of predestination. And so, if you're going to be a faithful minister, faithful to Christ, faithful to the truth, faithful to the souls, you should not keep back any part of the counsel of God, and you should not bury those doctrines in silence, which he's commanded to preach upon the housetops. So, don't bury the clear teaching of Scripture regarding absolute, unconditional predestination. Preach it from the housetops. Now, this may be uncomfortable because we know that this particular doctrine is pretty divisive. There's a lot of different opinions. You know, I've been in situations in my church before where um, I've had people come up to me and say, well, I don't believe in predestination. 
And um, I say, well, what do you mean you don't believe in predestination? Well, I don't think the Bible teaches predestination. And I say, well, you have to believe in predestination because the word shows up in the Bible. It's not a matter of does the Bible teach it. It's which view you hold to. Which, which view are you going to hold to? And obviously, we hold to unconditional election. And so, basically, he gives some reasons why we should preach it from the housetops. So what are, what are some reasons he gives why we should unashamedly preach the doctrine of absolute predestination? He says, why is it useful, this preaching of predestination? Well, he says, God himself teaches it and commands us to teach it, and that is answer enough. We are not to arraign God and bring the motives of his will to the test of human scrutiny, but simply to revere him and the doctrine. His point is, we do it because God told us to do it. We don't put God in the dock and tell him how he should run his universe. We revere God, we worship God, and we teach the doctrine. He also talks about how we are humbled under the preaching of the doctrine of unconditional election. He says, those, um, let's just start back here, for the humiliation of our pride and the manifestation of divine grace. This is one of the reasons why we do it. For the humiliation of our pride and the manifestation of his divine grace. He says, those who are endued with repentance and despair of saving themselves for a man can never be said to be really repentant and humble till he's made to know that his salvation is not in any measure whatever on his own strength, machinations, endeavors, free will, or works, but entirely depends upon the free pleasure, purpose, determination, and efficacy of God alone. And so one of the things he tells us to do is to meditate upon the Father's election of us to eternal life. He says that's the best antidote against the evil surmises of doubtfulness and remaining unbelief. You see, when you're doubtful of your salvation or when you begin to despair or you have misgivings in your heart about if God really loves you, he says meditate on the doctrine of election. Think about it this way. There was nothing in you that moved God to choose you. He didn't look down the corridors of time and see your free will. There was no worth or merit in you that moved God to choose you. No, he simply chose you out of the, the sheer grace of his sovereign love for you. He chose you because he loved you. And if God did this before the foundation of the world, it should give great confidence to your soul that you shouldn't doubt his love. If God chose to love you before the foundation of the world, he will continue to love you for eternity because his love is an eternal love that can never grow cold. God's love doesn't grow cold. God doesn't somehow fall out of love with you. No, God's love is perfect. God's love is eternal. God's love is unchangeable. So when you give in to doubt or you begin to have fears about your salvation, Zankius says meditate upon the doctrine of predestination. Now, how are believers to meditate upon this if it's not preached, if it's not taught, if it's not uh, expounded in all of its depths to give encouragement to struggling Christians that may doubt their salvation? One of the things he also says, which I found very interesting, is he says, 
It is most evident that the scripture doctrine of predestination is the clearest mirror wherein to see and contemplate the essential attributes of God. And that's an interesting statement. What he's saying is, if you want to understand the fullness of God's attributes, His holiness, His love, His glory, His majesty, His justice, His grace, he says, look at the doctrine of predestination. It's a mirror which reflects all of these glorious attributes of God. His omniscience, His omnipotence, His exhaustive foreknowledge of all things, God's unchangeableness. Predestination is a mirror in which you can see all of the attributes of God on display. And he's fond of quoting Augustine a lot. And so he says, Thus argued St. Augustine against the Pelagians. And what did the Pelagians teach? That grace is offered to all men alike. That God, for his part, equally wills the salvation of all. And that it is in the power of man's free will to accept or reject the grace of salvation so offered. Pelagianism does not give people hope because it's based upon their own free will. It's based upon their own morality. Humans are basically born neutral with no original sin. And so uh, th there's really no depravity or original sin from which to be saved from. But he says if you preach the biblical doctrine of predestination, and which takes into account total depravity, he says this. It teaches us that if we do indeed will and desire to lay hold on Christ and salvation by him, this will and desire are the effect of God's secret purpose and effectual operation, for it is he who works in us both to will and to do of his own good pleasure, that he, that glory should glory in the Lord. This is from Philippians 1, 12 and 13. Verse 13 says, It is God who works in you to will and to do his good pleasure. So if you have any inclination to trust Christ for salvation, if you had any inclination to repent and believe, it's not something that came springing from your own autonomous free will. It's because God worked in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. And what's God's good pleasure? God's good pleasure is that you look upon the Son, Jesus Christ, to be saved. So if you are saved, if you repented and believed, it's because God first worked in you to bring about that desire. Pelagianism teaches that basically you're born neutral. You can choose to trust God or not trust God. Uh, basically, God helps those who help himself. There is no original sin. And so the doctrine of predestination teaches us that God had to take the first initiative. He says, conversion and salvation must, in the very nature of things, be wrought and affected either by ourselves alone, that's the Pelagian view, or by ourselves and God together, that's the Arminian view, or solely by God himself, that is the biblical view. Now, one of the things he teaches here is that not only does the doctrine of predestination help you when you have doubts about God's love, but he says ultimately it should lead to ultimate humility. He says, the doctrine of predestination, absolute, free, unconditional predestination, here steps in and gives God his own. It lays the axe to the root of human boasting and cuts down 
for which reasons the natural man hates, every legal, every independent, every self-righteous imaginations that would exalt itself against the grace of God and the glory of Christ. When the doctrine of predestination is preached faithfully, openly, he says it lays the axe to the root of human boasting. It cuts down pride. Well, why does the doctrine of predestination cut down pride? Again, because there is nothing in us that moved God to save us. God was not obligated to do this. He's under no obligation. If God were obligated to save us, it would not be grace. God would not be free. It would be something he owed us as a debt. Often when I'm praying in my personal prayer time, when I'm praying to the Father, I'll, I'll pray something like this. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you chose me before the foundation of the world. You did not have to do this. You could have left me in a state of unbelief. You could have passed over me as a reprobate and, and, and I would get the, the just deserving of, my, of the punishment that I deserve and, and you would have done me no wrong. God, you did not have to elect me and save me, but you did and I'm so thankful. It cuts down pride. You see, if you added something to your salvation by either your free will or your spiritual wisdom or your choosing, then there's something to boast about. You did something to receive salvation that can be attributed to you. Even if God somehow helps you, like in the Arminian view, gives you prevenient grace, still ultimately the decision's up to you whether you come to Christ or not. A sovereign predestination cuts to the root of pride. It lays the axe to the root of human boasting because it shows us that there was nothing in us that moved God to do that. Now, he also says this. Here's another reason why predestination should be openly preached. He said predestination should be publicly taught and insisted upon in order to confirm and strengthen true believers in the certainty and confidence of their salvation. For when regenerate persons are told and are enabled to believe that the glorification of the elect is so assuredly fixed in God's eternal purpose that it is impossible for any of them to perish, and when the regenerate are led, are led to cons consider themselves as actually belonging to the select body of Christ, then what can establish, strengthen, and settle their faith like this? Because God's election is immutable, unchangeable, because God has sovereignly elected you and you, you can't go from being elect to non-elect, you can't lose your salvation, he says, what gives you great strength? What gives you great confidence in your salvation? The doctrine of election preached gives assurance of your salvation because what it teaches is if God chose to save you in eternity past, he will continue to keep you saved in the eternity future. What God started, he will complete. Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this, that what God began in you, he will bring to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So when we preach the doctrine of unconditional election, it gives security, it gives assurance to believers to know that they're in the solid grip of a father who won't let them go. So not only does it bring confidence when you doubt your salvation, not only does it cut to the, to the root pride in your life, but it also brings assurance to know that what God started, He will finish. And so think about it. If you're prideful, the doctrine of predestination shatters your pride. If you're doubtful about your salvation, the doctrine of predestination gives you assurance. 
If you're not quite sure God loves you, the doctrine of predestination, when it's preached, gives you that security and comfort. So there's very practical reasons why to preach the doctrine of absolute unconditional predestination. There's another reason that he says. Well, this is kind of the same reason tied to it. Let me just read this to you. So that when we remember that in the view of God, the whole mass of mankind was considered as guilty under condemnation on account of original and actual sin, his selecting some individuals from among the rest and graciously setting them apart in Christ for salvation, both from sin and punishment, were such acts of sovereign goodness as exhibit the exceeding greatness and the entire freeness of his love in the most awesome, amiable, and humbling light. He says the doctrine of predestination helps us understand God's love for us more deeply. God's love becomes more sweet to us when we realize that God didn't have to choose us. He could have passed us over. We could have been reprobate. But because he chose to show us special love, we should be in awe of that special love God has for us. God has a special love for his elect that he does not have for the non-elect. And we should revel in that love that he has for us. And then he gives another final reason why the doctrine of predestination should be openly preached. He says, lastly, without a due sense of predestination, we shall want the surest and the most powerful inducements to patience, resignation, and dependence on God under every spiritual and temporal affliction. Okay, what he means by this is that everything that we go through, trials, tribulations, afflictions, or ordained by a sovereign God who promises to go through those with us. So nothing catches God off guard. Nothing surprises him. Think about Job for a moment. Satan's not in control of the situation. Satan had to ask permission of the Lord in order to attack Job. And so everything that happened to Job was because God's sovereign decree. Now you may say, well, did God allow it? Did God permit it? Or did God ordain it? We can get caught up in the semantics, but the bottom line is, whatever you're going through, God could very well step in and stop it. And he does not. He either allows it to happen, permits it to happen, or ordains it to happen because it's part of his sovereign, immutable will for you. So even the trials that you go through are because of God's sovereign predestination in your life. Nothing can happen to you except for what God has ordained. Now, that could be scary to think, my goodness, God's ordaining trials for me to go through. This seems a little scary. But what's the alternative? Do you want a God who doesn't know what's going to happen to you? A God who's taken off guard by what's happened to you? A God that can't step in and help? A God that's passively watching this and not sure of the ending? Or do you want a God that's sovereignly in charge of every detail of your life he ordained these details before time, and he's going to be with you through every detail, and he's going to ensure that you come out at just the right timing and purpose for his glory. He writes this. He says, the love of his is immutable. 
He never withdraws that love. Whatever comes to pass in time is the result of His will from everlasting. Consequently, my afflictions were a part of His original plan and are all ordered in number, weight, and measure. My distresses are not the result of chance, accident, or some luck combined with circumstances, but the providential accounting and accomplishment of God's purpose. He who brought me to it has promised to support me under it and to carry me through it. And he says, therefore, I will commit myself and the event to him whose purpose cannot be overthrown, whose plans cannot be disconcerted, and who, whether I am resigned or not, will still go on to work all things after the counsel of his own will. And he says this, Christians want nothing but absolute resignation to render them perfectly happy in every possible circumstance. An absolute resignation can only flow from an absolute belief and an absolute acquiescence in God's absolute providence founded on absolute predestination. He's got the word absolute there a lot because that's the name of the book. But he says if you want to be absolutely happy, if you want to be absolutely confident, if you want to be patient in affliction, the only foundation for you to have absolute confidence and peace and surety is to have trust in God's absolute providence that comes from his absolute predestination. Now, he closes this chapter by quoting Melanchthon. If you guys know Melanchthon, it was Luther's um, student and the one that propagated Luther's teachings after he died. And he quotes Melanchthon here, and he says, quote, A right fear of God and a true confidence in Him can be learned more assuredly from no other source than from the doctrine of predestination. Fear of God and true confidence in Him cannot be learned from anything else in the doctrine of predestination. So Melanchthon's saying, if you really want to fear God, if you want to worship God, if you want to have confidence in Him, nothing does that better than the doctrine of absolute predestination. He says, divine predestination quite strips man of his boasted liberty, for all things come to pass according to God's foreappointment, even the internal thoughts of all creatures, no less their external works. Therefore, Ephesians 1, the apostle gives us to understand that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. And then he gives one final quote from Melanchthon. You will not learn either the fear of God or love and confidence in him from a sure source than from getting your mind deeply tinctured and seasoned with the doctrine of predestination. Now that's ancient language. What's tinctured? Well, a tincture was an ancient word for um, medicine. You would dissolve medicine and alcohol. And so basically what he's saying is, if you want to have true worship of God, if you want to have true satisfaction in God and all that he is, you need to have your mind medicated or your mind soaked and seasoned in the doctrine of predestination. Now, how does that happen? That happens when faithful pastors preach this doctrine from their pulpits without apology. Again, it's not the only thing that we preach. It's not a hobby horse that we camp out on. It is the fullness of God's word that we want to preach, the whole counsel. But when the text of Scripture teach absolute divine predestination, we must preach them 
with authority, without apology. And we should never stand up from the pulpit and say, you know, some of you are not going to like this and I, you know, I'm going to have to apologize for this. And so, you know, let me just kind of tell you what I think. No, as a pastor, you stand up and say, thus says the word of God and you preach it because it's the scripture and you let the chips where fall where they may because there may be some in your congregation that are going to have issues with that. So when we preach the doctrine of unconditional election of absolute predestination, it brings comfort to the saved. It quiets doubts about God's love. It helps shatter pride in our lives. It helps us to focus upon the attributes of God. It helps us to fall more in love with our Savior who has loved us first. And it also gives us great confidence through times of trials, times of affliction. So the doctrine of predestination must be preached in all of its fullness in order to be a blessing to God's people. Now, in a congregation on a Sunday morning, you may have a mixed congregation in the sense that you may have lost or unsaved people there. And so you think, well, maybe I shouldn't preach this because this is going to be confusing to unsaved people. And what are they going to think that God chooses some and doesn't choose others? This, this may be offensive to them. Have you ever thought that maybe the preaching of the doctrine of predestination and reprobation is God's means to actually bring about the salvation of one of his elect? Now, we don't know who the elect are, so we preach the gospel indiscriminately to all people who are there. But it could be that a person that's there in the congregation hears these truths and becomes alarmed, becomes worried. They realize, I don't have this peace. I don't have this relationship. I don't have this assurance. I don't have this, this confidence that he's talking about. Maybe I'm not one of the elect. I should cry out to Jesus for salvation. That may be God's means for calling, effectually calling one of the elect through the preaching of the doctrine of election. So I wanted to expose you to Zanchius because he is a reformer that many people aren't that familiar with. I encourage you to go get his book, if you can, online, the different places you can find it, The Doctrine of Absolute Predestination Stated and Asserted. It's very logical with a lot of propositions, a lot of scripture, um, very coherent. Um, actually, Jonathan Edwards said of, of Zanchius that he thought he was one of the best and most articulate um, of the reformers. He said um, he was the best of Protestant writers in his judgment. That was what Jonathan Edwards says. Um, the hymn writer Augustus Toplade, who also published his work in English, he actually translated it into English, basically said that this was one of the greatest treatments on the doctrine of predestination in the Christian church. So the, the book is a classic. I had never read it before. I just finished reading it, and it was a great blessing. Uh, Jerome Zanchius is not one of the reformers you've probably heard of that you're familiar with, like Calvin and Luther and Beza and Melanchthon and Zwingli and others. But he's well worth the read, and it was a, it was a great book to, to have my mind shaped again and again by the absolute sovereignty of God and absolute predestination. So thank you for listening to Understanding Christianity. I'm thankful that you are um, listening. Um, just to let you know, I'm going to be starting the Gospel of Luke here in a couple of weeks. Our church opens its doors for the first time this Sunday, Pentecost Sunday. Uh, May 31st, so that will be a glorious time to regather as our church. Um, and also, 
the following week I'll be starting the Gospel of Luke. And so those sermons will be uploaded here on Understanding Christianity, so you can look forward to that as well. I appreciate you listening. You can contact me at seancole.net. Give me a positive review and rating on iTunes. Share this on your social media platforms. If you're a pastor, preach these doctrines with boldness and with joy. Don't cram it down people's throat, but, but, but preach the scripture with authority and don't be ashamed of what God's word says. There may be fallout, there may be controversy, but ultimately God will bless the accurate and faithful preaching of his word. Well, until next time, May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. And will we all keep our eyes fixed on Jesus.